Morning. A nice day out. Uh, <laughs> let's start this morning with uh, what do you think of when I say exercise? So if I say to you, Hakuna Matata, what do you think? <laughs> Very good. Okay. If I, uh, if I say to you, the Fresh Prince, you think of Bel Air, I then next I go to in West Philadelphia. Now, if you're a young person in the room, it's possible that you're thinking, what does the western portion of Philadelphia have to do with a prince? But now, when I think of the Fresh Prince, I unfortunately, I think of this. Um, this is what kind of comes to my mind. Uh, this. Did you see this, that he's the new uh, genie in the Aladdin uh, movie? Which, I'm sure it'll be great. Okay, um, when I say Jesus, what comes to your mind? Uh, now, I think this is a great question. Uh, the great thinker A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do you think of when you think of Jesus? I think for a lot of Americans, their thoughts are a bit hazy, right? They would say, oh, I like him, you know, nice guy, long hair, usually carries a cuddly lamb, you know, nice teachings, but for the rest of it is just kind of hazy. They say, I maybe I haven't looked into it a whole lot myself, but as we open up the Bible this morning, we're going to see that what we think of Jesus is absolutely and incredibly important. Uh, for the past year or so as a church, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Luke in the Bible. Now, Luke is uh, one of four books in the Bible that talks about the life and teachings of Jesus. Uh, we are currently in chapter 9. Uh, if you want to follow along, uh, there's a Bible under every chair. Uh, we are going to be on page 841. Or uh, you can use the Renovation Church app. You just have Bible and weekly verses, and you can see everything in there as well. So at this point in the book of Luke, Jesus has actually become uh, quite well-known and quite popular, which causes him to ask his disciples two interesting questions. We're going to take a look at that this morning. So Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 18. The 18 is like the smaller number in there. It says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, uh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter, who's one of his disciples, answered, God's Messiah. Now, at this point in the book of Luke, uh, most people in the area know who Jesus is. They know something about him. In fact, in the passage just previous to this, Jesus is feeding 10, maybe 15,000 people. So a lot of people know something about Jesus at this point. And so he asks the disciples, okay, what are all these people, the crowds, what do they say about me? Who do they say that I am? And the disciples say, well, a ton of people think that you're John the Baptist. Now, I don't know if you know who John the Baptist is or not, but John the Baptist was a guy, he was a kind of an eccentric person who wore clothes made of camel's hair, and he ate like locust sandwiches for breakfast. Think like hipster eats organic. Uh, <laughs> that kind of guy, right? Really, he was a prophet, and he paved the way for Jesus. He got people's hearts turned back to God before Jesus came. But at this point, John the Baptist has actually been executed by King Herod. And so people are thinking, 
I don't know, maybe he never actually died or maybe he came back to life, but the only other awesome person we knew of that could do this kind of amazing thing was John the Baptist. So maybe that's who Jesus is. Other people say, well, maybe, maybe he's Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet from the Old Testament. And so he lived about 900 years before Jesus was born. And there were these predictions that Elijah is going to come before the great and terrible judgment of the Lord. And so again, people are going, who else could do these kind of amazing miracles and teachings? Maybe Jesus is Elijah. And still other people say, no, he's one of the other great prophets. But basically the crowds are saying, Jesus is a great man. He's great. He's a wise teacher. And clearly he has this kind of unique special connection with God, like one of the prophets of old. And fascinatingly, this is basically still how the crowds think of Jesus today, 2,000 years later. Right? You go on the street, you ask people, people say, yeah, Jesus, he was like kind of a prophet, wise teacher, special connection to God. Great guy, great man. Now, this is how I thought of Jesus uh, the first 18 years of my life before I actually became a Christian and started following Jesus. I never disliked a Jesus. I know of hardly anyone who dislikes Jesus. Now, I intensely disliked a number of Christians, but, <laughs> but not Jesus, right? But I didn't follow him either. Then one night, it was December uh, 1999. I was 18 years old, and I, I came in my room uh, at 2 a.m., came home, and I had this overwhelming feeling that I should read the Bible. Now, this was completely out of character from my life. I grabbed the Bible that was in our house, and I opened up to the New Testament, which I don't know, I don't know if I just knew enough to look for the red letters or something. And so I, I opened up to the New Testament, which is the stories and teachings of Jesus, and I found that Jesus was nothing like I thought. Like, if you had asked me at 18, like, when I say Jesus, what do you think of? If we would have recorded all my thoughts down, they would have looked almost nothing like who he actually was in the Bible. And so I started reading, and I found out that this wasn't just a great teacher with a winsome personality. In fact, he was so much more. So Jesus, he asked the disciples, hey, what do the crowd say? And then he turns to them and he says this. So let's look at verse 20 one more time. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Uh, in the book of Matthew, where this story is also recorded, we're told that Peter also said, God's Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, the disciples are different than the crowd, right? So the crowd, you know, most of them have just seen a glimpse of Jesus from afar. Maybe they've heard Jesus speak one time or, or two times. But the disciples, they've been living day in and day out with Jesus for quite some time. They've heard all of his teachings. They've watched his life, his life incredibly closely. And for them, they know who Jesus really is. And who did they think he was? They answer, he's the Messiah. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with that word or not, but Messiah is like another word for savior. He's the deliverer. So the crowds think this, the disciples think this, and it seems like nowadays in America, most people want to be more like the crowd, and, and they want to have a whole bunch of different answers to who Jesus is, not just, he's the Messiah. Well, let me just ask the question, can we do that? Okay, like, what if, in my mind, I want Jesus to just be a good teacher? Like, and that's it. 
Or what if I say, I just love Jesus' teachings, his moral teachings, you know, love your neighbor, that sort of thing. But I don't have much interest in surrendering my life to him as the son of God. You know, I think those are kind of apt descriptions of how most people in America feel about Jesus. We want to have some sort of in-between moderate reaction to Jesus. However, the great uh, thinker John Stott once astutely put it this way. Let me, let me read to you what he said. He said, if you read the Bible, so not just here's what I think about Jesus, like if you read who he is, if you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody who ever met Jesus Christ ever had a moderate reaction to him. There are only three reactions to Jesus in the Bible. They either hated him and wanted to kill him, and a lot of people did. That's why they crucified him, right? They were afraid of him and wanted to run away, or they were absolutely smitten with him, and they tried to give their whole lives to him. Smitten, they're just incredibly in, in awe and in love with him. And this is so true. In fact, in Scripture, no one ever liked Jesus. What I mean, what I mean by that is no one ever in the Bible ever said, Oh, Jesus, I just like him. Nice guy. I like him. No one ever said that. Ever. Why? Because he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Not just a nice teacher. Uh, Pastor Kevin Miller says that to call Jesus just a great prophet and a great teacher is actually an insult to Jesus. He said it would be like, imagine it's 1865. And you get this rare, incredible chance to meet Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln has just kept the union of the United States together, right? He's just freed three and a half million people from slavery. You walk up to Lincoln, and what do you say? You say, hey, I just want to tell you, I think you're a pretty good lawyer. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm sure maybe that, I'm sure he was, Right? but maybe a tad bit insulting to who he actually was. If you were with your friends, they'd probably pull you aside later and say, um, I don't think you really truly understand who Lincoln is. And so the question before every single person in this room today is on the screen. It's, what about you? Who do you, who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? This is a question that every single human being on earth must answer. And to not answer is to answer, right? It's to say that he's not important. I think we also must be careful. Uh, this is something that hasn't been the case for most cultures throughout history. But in sort of our postmodern Western culture, we must be careful with this question to not put our cultural postmodern lens on it. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus is asking them, okay, who do you say I am? And he's wondering, have you discovered the truth yet? He's not saying, who do you want me to be? Right? Because that doesn't make any rational sense. Now, I believe that when you follow God, you're searching for him, you can use reason. So let's use some reason here. Because I think most people, when they think about God nowadays, we just want Jesus to be who we want him to be. Right? I hear people say all the time, oh, Jesus, to me, he's a nice guy. He loves me. 
all the time. He's got really low demands on my life. He never challenges me, and he always agrees with me. But we don't get to decide who Jesus is. It's actually fairly unreasonable if, if you think about it. And, and maybe the easiest way to think about it is take yourself, put yourself into this story in the Bible. So say you're sitting around with the 12 disciples and Jesus looks at you and he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Like, could you honestly, with a straight face, look at him as he was standing across from you and say, well, See, I'm going to worship you as a spiritual being, but I just want you to be the God of my understanding. I actually want you to be, if you could just be like more of an idea, like I would worship you as, as that. In fact, I want to worship you as someone who always agrees with what I think. Like, no, you could never say that to his face, right? Why? Because he is who he is, not whom we want him to be. We don't get to pick who God is. We need to discover who he is. Okay, so if the disciples, these are the people in history who actually spent every day with Jesus, and if they say he's the Messiah, what does that actually mean? It means that he can save us. But save us from what? From our sin. See, the truth is, we all sin. We, we, we carry around hate in our hearts. Maybe it's towards a family member, towards someone you work with, someone you just disagree with on social media. We carry around lust in our minds. So we watch TV or browse the internet. We ignore God, the God who made us. And we live like we're in charge of our lives instead of him. The honest truth that we rarely like to admit in our culture today is that we sin. We are far from perfect. And the Bible says, here's what the Bible says about sin, and we just like, we're so afraid to talk about this in our culture, but I just have to tell you because this is what the scripture says. That's my job. The Bible says that what we deserve for sinning against a holy and perfect God is death, is judgment. Romans 6.23 says it this way in the Bible. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What, okay, what does that verse mean? Wages. What are wages? Right? You get paid your job. Wages are something that you receive for something you do. And God is telling us that what we receive, what we get back for sinning even once, is death. It's a judgment. It's the judgment that we deserve, which is separation from God. And if I'm separated from God at the end of my life... That means that I would spend eternity not in heaven, like most of us think, but I would actually spend, because of my sin, I would spend eternity forever in hell. But see, like, our, our hearts are so prideful, and they're so sinful, and we hear that, and maybe your heart is going like, no, 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 just stop, just stop, please. No, that's, no, stop saying that. It just sounds cruel or awful. We, we want to say, well, as long as, this is how I think most Americans, when I talk to them, think about the afterlife. We want to say, well, as long as I'm a decent person, as long as I don't murder someone or commit adultery or do anything like that, God is just going to kind of look the other way on my minor infractions and say, please, you did enough good, come on in 
to heaven, but that's not how it works. The Bible says the complete opposite of that. Why? Because if it worked like that, then I'd be earning my way in, right? Then I could arrive in heaven someday and introduce myself and say, well, hey, I mean, if you look at my life, I did this much good and this much bad, and I tipped the scales enough, and so I made it here. Like, what does that even have to do with Jesus? It's just me. Like, what does that have to do with the cross? Like, if, if we get into heaven just because we were good enough, then why did God let his own son be murdered? If that's how it works, then there would be some of you here where the amount of sin that you've already done in your life, there's no way that you're catching up. Right? When I say that we deserve, because God is holy, when we deserve to go to hell for sinning even once, our prideful hearts just say, no, it's wrong, it's cruel. But I just want you to hear me, that's actually not true. In fact, it's the other version. The other version that most of us think when we think about heaven, we have to earn our way. That's where God is awful to me. That's where I think God is cruel. Like, if God is somehow demanding that I've got to make up, right, and I've got to get all my good to make up, and if I get to the end of my life and I just miss it and I didn't quite outweigh my bad, that he's going to say, sorry, you're going to hell. Like, what is that? Like, if I made a ton of mistakes early on in my life and the, the bad got so high that I spent my whole life trying to make it up and he says, sorry, you didn't make it. Like, what kind of God is that? Like, if that's who God is as a judge, then he has no mercy. If that's who God is as a judge, then he has no justice for sin either. I, I, I want to give you maybe a helpful way to think through this. Okay, let's say that something really good happens in your life, and you decide that you're going to go out with friends and celebrate. You're going to kind of go out on the town. And you go out with your friends, and let's say you just normally don't drink, or you don't drink very much, but whatever, that night you had a few too many. And your friends tell you, hey, I really think you're in no condition to be driving, but you are in a different place at the time, and you're adamant. You're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm driving home. And for whatever reason, they relent. And you get in your car, and you start driving. Well, you're in no shape to be driving, so on your way home, you swerve over the yellow line. You hit another car that had three teenagers in it, and they're instantly killed on impact. Well, months later, you're brought to trial. And when you get to trial, you realize when you walk in the room, for some strange reason, your own father is the judge. Now, your father's been a judge in the community for, for decades. And you see it's your father, and you think, oh, yes, this is perfect. Because you were thinking, I'm going to jail for 15 years, probably. I don't know, maybe 20. But my dad, my own father, is the judge, and my father loves me. And so there's no way that I'm going to jail. He loves me. He would never do that to his son, to his daughter. And then it hits you. Right after you think that, you go, but wait. My father is a good judge and a just judge. Like He's known in the community for always punishing the guilty. He sticks to the law every time. He is a just judge. And so you start to get nervous, and you think, okay, but what's going to win out here? Like, what's going to win out? His love 
or his justice. So trial comes to the end, to the end, and the gavel comes down, and he pronounces you, your own father, he pronounces you guilty, which you were, right? And he announces the sentence. But then he shocks everyone in attendance, and he takes off his judicial robes, and he walks down to the bailiff, and he asks to go to prison and serve your sentence in your place because he just loves you that much. Now we hear that, and some of you are going, well, in a court of American law, that would never actually work, right? Okay, good for you, but in the court of God's law, see, that's actually exactly how it worked. Because God sees all of your sin, all of it, every last dot of it, and we are incredibly guilty. However, God is so in love with you that Jesus, his son, took off his heavenly robes, came down to earth, and served your sentence for you on the cross if you would let him by believing in him. No matter what you've done, you cannot out-sin the grace of God. Here's the thing about God that I think so many of us miss in our modern day. God is far more holy than most of us want him to be, but also far more forgiving than most of us think he should be. He's a savior if you call out to him. So what about you? Who do you say he is? Have you found him yet? Have you discovered him? Do you know his love? Can you imagine this? Like, can you imagine that there is someone who loves you so much that he's seen every last little dark secret of your sin and then said, I love them so much that I will be executed myself on the cross and take their judgment for them. And if they would believe in me, I would take the judgment off of them and on to me. That's who God is. That's how much he loves you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. Who do you say he is? This is the most important decision of your life. Who do you say Jesus is? The most important decision. Like, we like to think the most important decision of our life is what? Uh, maybe what, we, what we're going to do when we grow up, right? What we're going to do for work. That's going to last you, what, maybe 40 years? Or we think, some people think the most important decision of their life is who will they marry? Right? That, on a good day, lasts you, what, maybe uh, 50 years. The single most important question of your life is what do you say, what do you say about Jesus? Have you decided to follow him or not? If you believe that he died in your place and you decide to follow him, you can be saved. You can be completely forgiven. But if you do not believe, you cannot be saved because there is no one to pay for your sin. Please, I beg of you, let Jesus Pay for your sin. 
If you're here and you've just been drifting the last couple years spiritually, maybe the last decade, like you think about Jesus once in a while, but honestly, you're just sort of drifting spiritually, I just beg of you, search for the truth. If you're ready to follow him today and let him save you, then do that today. If you're unsure, start searching. There's a Bible under every chair. If, 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 if you need to start to search, take that with you today on your way out. Start at the book of Matthew. I mean, just, just reason with me. I know this sounds like spiritual, right? We're talking about God, but just reason with me. If there is an afterlife, and if it lasts forever, the biggest disservice you could ever do yourself would be to not look into it. You cannot bank the next trillion years of your life on a hunch you have about Jesus. You've got to know. And he wants so deeply to come into your life and forgive you no matter what you've been. Will you let him turn your life around? Will you let him in? And if you're here right now and something's just happening in your heart as I'm talking and this is just sinking in and you're going, I need this. I need to tell him that I believe he died for me. I need to be forgiven. I can't pay for my own sin. I need to follow him. Then follow him. Right? You can do that today. Maybe, maybe it's your first time in church in a long time. Maybe you've been coming here for a year, but something's just happening today where you're going, no, I, I get it. I believe I need, to, I need to draw the line in the sand. I need to follow. If the God who made the universe is putting that on your heart today, then follow him. And, and all it takes is faith, right? Maybe the most important verse in the Bible is John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world, that, that's you that he loves, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to tip the scales, all you need to do is believe, shall not perish, shall not go to hell, but have eternal life in heaven, and you can have a relationship with Jesus. And I've seen him do it in so many lives in this church. He will absolutely come in and transform your life because he is the living God and he can do that. So who do you say he is? We've got to make the decision, every single one of us, at some point. If you're here and you want to for the first time, say, I believe. I believe that he died for me. I've got to, I want to follow him. I want to be saved. Then I want to give you an opportunity to just do it right now before you, before you head out today. So let's just do this. Let's just have everybody in the room. Would you just, for one minute, would you just close your eyes? I mean, even bow your head if you want to. If you are here this morning and you want to tell him for the first time that he's your Messiah, that you believe he's the Messiah, that he saved you when he died on the cross, that's all it takes. It's just faith. It's just you telling him, I believe you died in my place. I will follow you. And instantly, he will take all you've ever done and he will be forgiven forever. It's just wiped clean by your faith. But you cannot do it on your own. You will never be good enough because you'll always have your sin. But he can wipe it clean with your faith if you would believe that he died in your place and follow him. And so if that's you and you want to be forgiven today, in just a second, I'm actually going to ask you to just quietly stand up wherever you are. No one's going to be looking at you. That's why I just had everybody close their eyes. But if this is a way for you to just kind of symbolically draw the line in the sand. Today, February 24th, is the day that God saved my life for eternity. And I let him in, and I started to follow him. And he can do this. 
He just loves you that much. He knew you'd be here. He knew everything would come to this. So if you're here and you've never done this before and you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, to take that justice and that punishment off of you and onto him and let his love come in instead, if that's you and you want to be forgiven, would you just stand up where you are right now and accept that gift? Amen. Amen. For those of you who are standing, you just keep standing as people join you. If you're here and your heart is just beating and you go, I know I got to do this, I can't put this off, would you just join these people and just stand to say, I surrender, God? If that's you, just stand where you're at. I just, I just want to give you another maybe 10, 15 seconds. This is what life is about. If you just know you need to be forgiven, he is ready to forgive you. He just loves you so much. All it takes is you just saying, I need it, I accept it, I surrender. If that's you and you need it, would you just stand where you're at? For those of you that are standing, I just want to pray with you. The Bible says when we get to the spot in our lives that we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths. And so I'm just going to pray, and you can repeat after me. And all of you in the room, if you've believed in Jesus, maybe it's 10 years or one year or 15 years, let's just, anyone who's a believer, whether it's for the first time right now or your whole life, would we just pray out loud this prayer after me? It's not a magic prayer. It's just a prayer to tell God what's going on in our lives right now. So you can just repeat after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I've sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. For those of you that are standing, uh, I need you to just do one more thing for me. I, I, I believe you made the most important decision of your life. And so whenever you make a decision like that, that requires just more information. Like, I don't, what do I do next? And so if you're standing, uh, I'm just going to have a leader come up here and pray. And as he's praying and people have their eyes closed, would you just join me in the hallway just for a minute or two? And I'm just going to give you some next steps, some resources for what, what to do next. And so uh, it'll just take a second. You'll be able to sneak back into your row. And if you made this decision today and you, you're not the type of person that stands in a group, uh, while we're praying, would you just come out with us too? And I'd love to just get you started on what to go next. You can walk out with me now and then uh, we'll get you back. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your mercy and your grace that you've offered to us. Thank you for making a way when there was none. Thank you for seeing our debt that we could never hope to repay and paying it for us so that we can have a hope for eternity with you. Thank you so much for saving these lives. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.